The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, folks. Welcome. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. The Internet is now the number one place to meet a romantic partner. One in three marriages are the result of a dating website or app. Have you ever used an app or a website? If so, you're not only in the company of most singles today, you actually have a lot more in common than you think with lonely, lonely homesteaders in the 18th century New England, Civil War soldiers, single women in newly industrialized cities, and immigrants arriving to the New World. Our show today shines a fascinating light on advertising for love. And we are fortunate that our guest is historian and author Francesca Bowman, who discusses her well-researched and fascinating new book, Matrimony, Inc. It's an exploration of the history of personal ads in America in the last 300 years. Francesca grew up in London. She studied history at Cambridge and began her career as the host and writer of numerous British TV shows, including Show Me the Funny, Heroes of History, and Bring It On. She's the author of six fascinating books, How to Wear White, Shapely Ankled Preferred, How to Crack an Egg with One Hand, The Woman's Book, and The Pineapple, King of the Fruits. Her latest venture is the popular Instagram account, which she films from, it's called Fran's Bookshop. It's filmed at their uh, Persephone Bookstore, a beautiful bookstore, and Fran interviews authors, reviews books, and asks everyone, what are you reading? Francesca Bowman, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for that lovely introduction. You're very welcome. Francesca, what made you research and write Matrimony, Inc.? Well, I've always been interested in personal ads. You know, when you'd read the newspapers um, and then often on the back page, there'd be columns and columns of personal ads. And I'd always been interested in them. I can remember some of my favorites. Um, there was a, such a funny one um, that really stuck with me that I read years ago that was very simple. It just said, woman who likes pasta wants man who likes sauce. So it was very, <laughs> yeah. very simple, but it really kind of paints a picture of this whole world, this woman, you know, looking for the love of her life. Is she going to find him? What's going to happen? And so on a whim, I started looking into personal ads. And what I found was that they date back much, much further than anybody realized. So first of all, I found in uh, England that you get the first personal ads in 1695. When I started researching them in America, I was lucky enough to find one as early as 1759, much, much earlier um, than anyone knew they existed. And mm-hmm. um, it was with that that I knew I had a I had a book on my hands because personal ads give such an amazing insight into um, what men have looked for in a woman, what women have looked for in a man, and how that's changed or often not changed over the past 250 years. So they're really mm-hmm. an amazing source of evidence of of the history of of, of our hearts' desires. 
Mm. Um, and let's start by giving our listeners another one. This comes from your second chapter in New York between 1770, Francesca, and 1810. And you say, this is the, the ad, a young gentleman of fame and fortune, not above two and 20, tall, stout, and esteemed agreeable in his person, has chosen this method of address because he has recently come to town having little acquaintances with the ladies. Now, what is he looking for? Under 40, not deformed, and in possession of at least 1,000 pounds. I'm not sure how well that would play with eHarmony, but it really gives us such an interesting glimpse of some of the same um, feelings of somewhat a social stigma of placing it. He's giving a rationale, but you tell us more. What else do you hear in this? Right, I so agree with you that what's most interesting about it is the through lines to today, how much it has in common with, you know, a Tinder profile um, today. So, you know, what, what's fascinating, to, what this ad reveals, amongst many other things, is what a 18th century New York gentleman looked for in a wife. So his, his only criteria are that she's under 40, not deformed, and in possession of at least £1,000. So he's very to the point, very straightforward, our, our cheery bachelor. Um, to put those, that in today's terms, in terms of, you know, mate choice in America today, what he's looking for is a woman who is young, um, healthy, and rich. <laughs> um, and he says it in this very straightforward way. And, you know, those criteria, you know, for good or ill, um, are pretty consistent over over 250 years. So it's really a glimpse into what a what a New Yorker would have looked for in a woman at the time. Um, uh, he he also um, reveals why he's choosing to advertise for love. You know. In the past, in, in the early days of America, you would have just married the girl next door, somebody your mother introduced you to, or, um, you know, somebody local. But as cities like New York grew, the population increased, lots of people moved into the city, you had to turn to other forms of matchmaking. And, and like you say, the, this advertiser in New York in 1788, he, he says that he's chosen to use this method of address because he's lately come to town, having little acquaintance with the ladies. Look, we all know that feeling, right? He's new in town. He probably works really long hours. He doesn't have time to meet many new people. And so he turns to the newspapers for a little help with the matchmaking process. And I think that's certainly something that we can all relate to, you know, needing, mm. sometimes needing a little bit of help and support um, finding a, a, a partner. Now, one of the things you said that I, I couldn't agree with more is you say, advertising for love has always been as much about what is not said as what is. So, I mean, much... I think I looked at one modern one you wrote, and it was Snow White Tired of the Dwarfs. And then it's from a, a single white professional woman. And so she's got a message in that. And we we right. see in, in one of the oh, – go ahead. And that's a, very, that's a more recent one, isn't it? That's yes. a sort of late 20th century yes. one where both men and women became more detailed, choosier in terms of what they were looking for in a, in a partner. In the 18th century, the ads were, were pretty brief and pretty to the point. And while the men who placed ads in the 18th century would detail what they looked for in a wife, 
when women placed ads, and they did so much earlier than you might think, when women placed ads, they were they were very brief about what they were looking for in a husband because really, you know, um, sadly, options were so limited for many women at the time that um, they really would omit almost everything about themselves. They just wanted a man, any man, because that was their only route to financial security, sadly. In, uh, in America in the 18th and 19th century, um, women had very few options. And so when husband wanted ads took off um, in the mid-19th century, as they did around the 1840s, you, you really get the first um, you get a lot of husband-wanted ads. Many of those who advertised were widows, they were orphans, they were living with their families. Um, uh, they weren't able to just go get a job because that was very, very limited, and so they place an ad um, in a newspaper. But, but as you said, often um, uh, they would omit a huge amount of, uh, about their circumstances in order to, I guess, increase their chances of, of finding the perfect man for them. Mm. Well, and, and in terms of that, the ads even early on, and I think this is true of today's personal uh, profiles, their code is used to really um, hide the real requests. In one case, this is an early one, it says, gentlemen of an easy, genteel fortune, wants a wife, <laughs> and here's the quote, sound wind and limb, a clean skin, a sweet breath with a good set of teeth. So <laughs> what you is that? You don't get that in a Tinder profile today, do yeah, you? Right. For sure, a good what, set of teeth. <laughs> what is that code for is the question. So I tell you, all that is code for, for healthy, which is code for fertile. So the indicators of fertility in our society are looking healthy and often actually symmetrical. So it's things like having shiny hair, shiny skin, a very symmetrical face. Um, to the human eye, um, lots of research shows that that can be an indicator that a woman is highly fertile. Of course, this is a huge generalization, and there are many exceptions to this. But, um, but if one's generalizing, um, it's an indicator in evolutionary terms of being fertile. And so when a man uh, gives a description like that, um, that of rather eccentrically, of physical appearances, what he's really saying is he wants someone healthy who's, who's likely to be able to bear him children. And that, as you say, is a kind of code word for that. At the same time, the way you know, he talks about the fact that he is of easy fortune, that is not, you know, not very veiled code for the fact that you know, he will be able to financially support any offspring that might result from this partnership. And in a way, in those days, in the 18th and 19th century, many of those who advertised for love were far more upfront and robust about marriage as an economic transaction. So you'll even get ads that will say, wanted a wife or a business partner, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or wanted a wife or somebody who can help look after the pigs. In fact, there's mm -hmm. one that says words to the effect of, I think it's in North Dakota um, in the mid-19th century, and he says, wanted um, a, a wife or somebody who can look after the pigs or someone who can look after my seven children. So, you know, <laughs> they're very open about the fact that um, being a wife was often also a business relationship, um, a very practical relationship. Um, there's, there's some other ads that will say wanted a wife or a housekeeper. So, you know, in some mm. ways they're very straightforward about what the role was, of a wife was 
um, to them. When that's when that changes in, is towards the end of the 19th century, when romantic love for the first time really became a central consideration um, in the marriage pact. So mm-hmm. it used to be that you know, marriage was all about money, and then gradually that did change and become much more about love. And you see that in in the personal ads, which are evidence of this. People more and more often are asking for somebody who can be a companion, who can be a best friend, who, you know, they're using language like this, which is a definite shift from personal ads 100 years ago. Mm. One of the fascinating things about the way you structure the book is that you do it through history. And what comes across to me is there's a, there is a matching of need and access to printing, much like now we had exactly need, right. Yeah. right? So so it was so, I happen to live in New York, and everyone I know knows where Fishkill is. So I say to them, <laughs> would you believe that in 1776 in Fishkill, which we all pass on the parkway, um, right. Samuel London, the editor, was not only printing and distributing copies of New York State's state constitution, he was printing personal ads. It seems startling, <laughs> you know. Isn't it but, amazing? I mean, imagine how excited I was when I when I uncovered that ad in Fishkill yes. in the in the 1780s. I mean, that was such a thrilling moment, as you say, with every city from Boston to Philadelphia to New York in the early days. With every city, almost as soon as the first newspapers emerged, you get the first um, personal ads, and that's really, um, I mean, that something in common with with today is that as soon as you get any kind of new technology very often it's used to form relationships you know because that's a very basic human need so whether it's the printing press or a newspaper press a silicon chip or ai one of the first ways it's used is is the forming of human relationships and that's certainly consistent throughout it's also why you can track the trajectory of which cities and towns in america started having personal ads, of course, with the trajectory of which ones had newspapers. And as you get more and more local newspapers, you get more and more personal ads, which is why I was so excited to find personal ads in every state in the nation in the uh, 19th century. Uh, You'd be amazed in every tiny town from Wisconsin, Wisconsin to Kansas, California to Wyoming, North Dakota, every local town I could find personal ads, whether it was from a farmer or a miner or somebody who just called himself a gentleman or or um, a woman looking um, for a husband, you, you'd get personal ads in even the smallest of, of newspapers. So one of my very favorite personal ads actually I found um, in a tiny a local newspaper in Wisconsin um, on August the 8th, 1855. And, it, and I found it because there's a very big headline that says, Husband Wanted! Exclamation mark, um, in sort of big, bold type. And um, why it's one of my favorites is because the woman who plays the ad, she's, she just gives the most wonderful and memorable description of what she's looking for in a husband. She, said, she wrote this, I want no brainless dandy or foppish fool, but a practical man who can drive a coach or rock the cradle, hoe the garden or attend the ballroom. 
On the whole, he must dress neat, look well, and keep his head up in society. <laughs> and that was from a woman <laughs> a in 1855. One. You know, it's really... I think that applies. <laughs> it, isn't it amazing? And so brave of her to place that yes. ad, so empowered. You know, this is just seven years after the Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls. This woman is in Wisconsin, in a tiny town there, is, is feeling empowered enough to go out there and find herself a husband. Yes, it's a wonderful one. Um, I was interested in our listeners realizing we're talking often about how do you date in COVID and how interesting is it to go back and forth just in writing or just in text. And when you talk about the frontier, you describe some couples writing for a year or more, sight unseen, and then the woman gets on a stagecoach, travels who knows how long, and the right. day she arrives, they get married. I mean, it's it's astonishing how many women did that. And I, I think it's really an indictment of how few options there were open to women at the time, right? I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if your best option in life is to get on a stagecoach to the middle of nowhere, somewhere you've never been, you've got no friends, no family, to marry a man you've never met before, if that is your best option in life, then society is doing something wrong, right? But that, you know, did happen. That was the reality over and over again um, because... So much of the frontier, there were lots of men there. You know, there were there were there were the population centers of America were shifting to, to the west, and thousands of men were trekking across the plains and the prairies in search of a new life. But the problem was, once they settled, set up farms, businesses, they realized they'd forgotten something: women. Um, there was a real um, scarcity of women on the frontier, and so personal ads were a, were a really important way of, of addressing um, that issue, a, a way that's kind of been ignored really by historians up till now, that personal ads became crucial to fulfilling America's manifest destiny, really, settling the West couple by couple, marriage by marriage, and therefore family by family. And mm. that's why, to me, these personal ads give a glimpse, really, into the making of modern America, each of these couples. You know, I, t I have some, some examples in the book of, of couples who met, met this way. Um, a 22-year-old seamstress named Sarah Baines in 1871. She stepped off a, wa a wagon in Wyoming and um, on, the, on, on the spot married a 46-year-old farmer named Jay Hemsley because that, you know, seemed to her her best shot at a new life, at financial security, at opportunity, all of that. And it really became a very important part of how the, the, the frontier was, was settled. Francesca, we're going to take a break. Let's stop right at that wonderful point. Um, folks, you've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with historian author Francesca Bowman. She's discussing her wonderful book, Matrimony, Inc., with wonderful examples of personal ads in the Americas in the last 300 years. Stay with us. Much more to come. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. 
planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're speaking with Francesca Bowman, and we're talking about the fascinating history of personal ads in America. And we were speaking about the brave women who placed ads. And in one case, uh, I was mentioning that one of my favorites is, well, uh, Francesca's chapter four, in quotes, starts as someone to share my sweets or my biddies, whichever um, our lot may be. And that's from a woman on the East Coast. But in that chapter, there's a story of Angeline who in 1855 realizes that the next day she's going to turn 29 and that puts her in a category that's not a good one to be in. She'll be an old maid. So she says, tomorrow I'm going to improve the privilege allotted to my sex and I intend to persevere until I succeed in the accomplishment of my purpose. And on New Year's Day, she puts an ad in. And why? Because that was leap year. And the tradition back there was that a woman could propose to a man in leap year. And Francesca and I, it occurred to us that we are in a leap year right now, 2020. So what are you suggesting to our listeners, Francesca? I think, I hope one of your listeners is going to propose to their boyfriend right this second as we're speaking. So, yes, in those (laughs) days... um, women really were only allowed to propose to men during a leap year. That's what tradition held. The rest, the, the, other, the rest of the time, they simply couldn't. It wasn't the done thing. So a leap year was really an opportunity for women for once to, to, to be in charge and take the reins. Um, it's true. And one of the things you said before, which I'll underscore, is for women, and you say in the book, only the bravest put ads in. Hus- a husband was really the only uh, way to be secure. I mean, there was just right. not m- m- many other options for women. And they they clearly let people know what they wanted. Uh, we were talking before, one woman says, not beyond middle age, and she puts in 
perfectly sober. Now, what is that code for? Right. So perfectly sober or sobriety was a, was an adjective adjective that was very, very commonly used by um, women who placed husband-wanted ads, um, particularly around the 1840s, 1850s. Sobriety um, was, was a top priority, and this was because excessive drinking at the time was really a big problem. So, for example, in Philadelphia, um, which really pioneered husband-wanted ads, there were lots in a the newspaper there called the Public Ledger um, in the 1850s. In Philadelphia, um, men over 15 consumed nearly three times as much alcohol as they do today. So, you know, seven gallons of pure alcohol a year, which is a huge amount. And this wreaked havoc on the lives of families everywhere. Um, as a result, um, being perfectly sober was, was a realistic appraisal of who was out there, was trying to be clear about what you were looking for and not looking for in a husband. You know, that's, of, of course, a very reasonable demand. I mean, other things that women at the time often asked for, they'd use adjectives like respectable, must be honest, amiable, educated. They'd also use words like must be industrious or generous, which was also, you know, indicating they want somebody who is economically stable, who has a job, who who goes out to work. So again, this gives us a wonderful glimpse of um, what women in Philadelphia in the 1850s or, or wherever these ads spread to, what they were looking for in a man, what was um, seen to be important and what was not. Mm. Now, the, the other similarity we were speaking about, and this is both men and women f- fear this, and that is being scammed. Uh, there's that word, is it catfish? That means someone's yeah. really just playing off other people, not being honest. It was so interesting to me, and this is a man writing it. As the writer is sincere, he expects that none from an idle curiosity will give themselves any unnecessary trouble to discover him. <laughs> Which is code for what, Francesca? It's code for saying, I am genuine, uh, don't um, make a joke out of me. Because there were cases that appeared in the newspapers of, you know, people would sometimes reply to these ads as a joke. They'd, you know, reply in a different name or in the guise of, you know, a very wealthy woman or man. Or, you know, they they do it just for a joke to try and trick these these people into maybe giving away their life savings because particularly towards the end of the 19th century, there there was quite a crime wave surrounding these personal ads. Many, many cases of fraud, of bigamy, and sometimes sadly even murder surrounding personal ads. Um, You know, there was one big story in the 1890s uh, that the New York Times kept featuring. Um, They they nicknamed uh, this guy called James Taylor. They nicknamed him the one-armed bigamist because he would answer ads in New York newspapers, um, uh, you know, marry the women and then uh, steal their entire life savings. And this happened quite frequently. The Mm. the difficulty was, um, in terms of the sort of um, the stigma around personal ads, it's only when personal ads go badly that the story appears in the newspaper, right? It's only when a crime is committed right. and then it's reported in the newspaper. If they live happily ever after, have a one- wonderful, joyful marriage for the next 50 years, well, no one's interested in that. So you don't read about it in the newspaper. And as a result, it, it has, over the last 200 years, very much skewed the public's perception of what advertising for love is. You know, there always have been those stories in the newspaper, the salacious, scandalous mm. stories of when a problem comes about from a personal ad. But as I say, you don't get the happy stories, not because they don't exist, but because people tend not to talk about them so much. 
Mm. Now, as your book proceeds, you you talk about the different newspapers that carry them. In New York, you, you talk about the fact that in the Herald, um, James Bennett says this, there's these personal ads were so much uh, of interest to people that he says, we, we put these in in order to startle and amuse. So in addition to the people really advertising for love and responding, personal ads are a little bit like um, uh, a People magazine or wanting to see. Exactly right. They're, they were yeah. a form of entertainment. So there was a wonderful quote, um, um, a piece of writing from Mark Twain, the, the writer in 1867, where he says, You may sit in a New York restaurant in the morning for a few hours and you will observe that the very first thing every man does before ordering his breakfast is to call for the New York Herald. And the next thing he does is to look at the top of the first column and read the personals. There is such a toothsome flavor of mystery about them, Mark Twain wrote. So they they were certainly um, there for for entertainment. You know, just like when I was talking um, earlier on about, you know, that I would read the personals for entertainment. And I think many of us have done that. no wonder. So, for example, one of my favorite personal ads appeared in the New York Times in 1903. So, the New York Times had hundreds and hundreds of personal ads from the 1850s onwards. Uh, by the way, even the New York Times didn't know they printed all these personal ads um, until I, I've uncovered how many there were. Um, they had hundreds and hundreds of them in the second half of the 19th century. And one of my very favorite ads uh, is from 1903 in the New York Times. Um, it's from a young man, moderate circumstances, and who has a glass eye, would like to form the acquaintance of a young lady who also has a glass eye. <laughs> so, it's, it's great. You know, they're, they're, the idea that there really is somebody for everyone, although this is, you know, quite an extreme case of that. But, yeah, so you can see an ad like that, while very touching, is also very entertainment and entertaining as well. And it's ads like that one man, you know, the, the man with a glass eye, which really demonstrate why they have consistently been a form of entertainment for newspaper readers. Mm. Now, one of the things uh, as you proceed through history is you talk about the fact that after World War One, we have somewhat of a decline in um, the use of advertising for love as the dance halls and dating. This, we be, the chaperone vanishes and we have the, the date comes into uh, vogue whether from movies and dance halls. And so for a while, the ads plummet. And then they come back with the sexual revolution. Is that right? That's right. And with, with the emergence of new technology. So there was a... Right. So personal ads um, uh, decreased in popularity um, in the, uh, the beginning of the 20th century. So they really hit their peak around the 1890s, 1900s, when there were... Honestly, you can't believe how many personal ads there are, were in newspapers everywhere. You know, this was, I spent five years just trawling, trawling, and there were so many of these, these personal ads. But in the early 20th century, they, they, they did start to disappear. Now, the, the first reason was because of the case of Belle Gunness in 1908, who was a, um, America's um, worst ever female serial killer who found her victims through personal ads. Now, as you can imagine, that kind of, you know, damaged their reputation and, um, and they became less popular. Um, then with the 1920s, 1930s, uh, they, they, they remained, you know, not so much in use. 
But with the sexual revolution in the 1960s, combined with new technology, advertising for love became very popular again. So in the 1960s, you get the launch of the first computerized dating systems. Um, the first one was actually um, invented by a, a woman called Joan Ball in the UK in, in, in 1964. Um, but there was another one that emerged um, at Harvard in 1965 called Operation Match. Um, and this was the first computer dating, which was, of course, a a new way of doing it, a new way that people thought would be incredibly radical, right, bringing people together from all different places, and, but actually the opposite happened, that it tended to match up people who were the same, right, you put your details into the computer, and it looks for people who are the same, and in this way, it's it's interesting to think how it kind of, it, it, uh, enforce social hierarchies, replicated social patterns. Um, so although people thought these new technologies would be quite radical, in fact, they, they weren't really as radical as, as they appeared. But that was, you know, the first computer dating, which, which revolutionized the way men and women find each other, you know, then to be, of course, revolutionized again by the Internet and then later by dating apps as well. Mm-hmm. So it brings us to the present situation where... People aren't so, once they go on a dating site, the thing they have to do, Francesco, is write a profile, send, have a picture, and it, it, people, people joke about the fact that the picture, the picture that the 40-year-old man sends when they see it, it must be his prom picture because he doesn't look <laughs> like that when they meet him. Um, right. and, and we hear things like uh, women fudge a bit about their weight and men fudge a lot about their height. And so the question becomes, um, and the question that I'm going to ask you, and we could, we'll be able to pick it up even in the next section is, so people start to wonder, they try to be as honest as they can. Some people are are really being honest, like your person with the glass eye. They want someone very specific. Um, I think a woman wrote a book on she pretended she was a man and went in to see who would who would respond to her. And she was insisting that if you didn't have the profile of tall, blonde and wonderful, you didn't you didn't get the the call back or you didn't get the text (laughs) back or the response. But that's not exactly what everyone finds. Um, Mm -hmm. So the question that that I want to bring up is we once again have a great need because Worldwide, we're facing a pandemic. So so Mm -hmm. singles are somewhat stymied as to how do you proceed, Francesca, if you think you actually may not be able to see the person in living color or if you're too cautious to do that. And is there anything we can borrow from the history of personal ads that you have put together in, in such an amazing way. We touched on it. I want our listeners to know we touched a little bit on this fabulous book. It's so worth reading. But can we take something from that to help our folks or give them some guidelines for dating in the age of COVID? What would you say? Um, 
Uh, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's so much we can take from that. I mean, certainly uh, um, to the point of, you know, that people exaggerate in their, in their ads about their weight or their age or their height or their income. What I would say about that is uh, that is not a new thing, right? That is very much part of human nature. So there's all kinds of cases throughout the 19th century of people doing that. There was a, a, a particular favorite of mine, a woman called Sarah Redmond, um, placed a, an ad uh, in 1867, saying, wanted a husband, would like to marry a gentleman of comfortable circumstances residing in the South. Anyway, she got a delightful reply from a gentleman um, in Georgia. So she got on the train, transferred to a stagecoach, rode for hours, and then when she knocked on the door of the address she'd been given, an elderly, gray-haired, frail-looking man man opened the door. He was not well-off or middle-aged or in any way what she described. And we only know about this because when Sarah Redmond got back on the train, she met a reporter for a newspaper called the Atlanta Constitution who then wrote all about it. So, you know, first I would say, you know, that it's not a new thing that that we exaggerate, um, uh, you know, our attributes. That, of course, is is human nature. Um, uh, So, um, but I think, you know, in terms of, uh, how we can help with the with the matchmaking process um, today. Um, of course, there's many opportunities to be found in in the fact that people can't uh, meet each other. Right, like all these obstacles in life, it's about finding the upsides, finding the opportunities, and and I think there are many in really um, creating a friendship before uh, before any other kind of relationship, right? A broader mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definition of what a relationship is. And again, you know, back to the 1860s, this emerged. It wasn't people just looking for marriage. It was people looking for, for friendship as well. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, something that we can really recapture and can be a wonderful basis for a relationship in that, in that sense. Well, I actually think it's a litmus test in some way. For, well, first of all, let, let's say that, uh, just another second, then we're going to take a break. Right now, you might come across the catfish or the person who puts in his prom picture or the woman who doesn't look exactly like our picture. But this, we have, there's so many more people out there and you're not getting on a stagecoach to meet someone. It's not going to take a month <laughs> to not. realize it's an no. old man on the other side. So we have, right. we have, thankfully, we have options that we can flip to very quickly. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk about the reality of dating now in this in this time of our lives and with respect to COVID and the ingredients of a good personal ad. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We were just speaking about, and we want to share with you, is it possible that despite the frustration of it, the anxiety about it, that the the fact that we're precluded from just meeting somebody in a nice bar and having a drink, um, could it possibly, could there be a gift hidden in the um, restrictions we have because of COVID? Um, What do you think, Francesca? I think it can be it can be such a wonderful opportunity if you take it as such. So, it, you know, dating while social distancing, it's really just like 18th or 19th century dating, right? <laughs> Whereby you might go for a walk with a gentleman in the park. Um, you know, you were very limited in terms of what respectable society allowed you to do. But with that come wonderful benefits, right, of really getting to know people and forming a solid friendship um, before the relationship becomes something else. And that, you know, that... Um, pre-COVID, you know, would have been more difficult, whereas COVID, you know, really, if one's going to find some, you know, upsides within it, I think it, it, it really would be that, that there's a way to, to invent dating that, can, that means one slows down, gets to know each other. You know, think of it like you're dating in the 18th century. That worked for people for a long, long time. So there's clearly, you know, something to it. Well, you're you're so right because in, in one article, uh, twenty people interviewed said what was their first in-person date during COVID, and it was walking, taking a walk with the person, having a picnic outside, at some point maybe trying a restaurant that had outdoor seating. But as right. I said to you before, one one man said, you know, a woman asked me a question which really has great meaning. He was asked by a woman, what does social distancing mean to you? And Francesca and I were saying that it really is a very good question because it really brings to light the value system, 
how they're considering dealing with COVID, the differences, the similarities. So, you know, the idea right. and it's, of, such a, it's a great way to kind of get to know each other, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Without all the other distractions that can often um, uh, kind of cloud the picture. I once did a blog on why people living uh, long-distance relationships actually were better in some ways than people who are living side-by-side in an apartment. And that is, it was was always a check-in, always a waiting, can't wait to speak to, always more time to ask about what the other was doing and feeling and needing. (laughs) And my point was, maybe we should take something from this. Maybe we ought to picture that the folks we live with, picture them in Albany, Fishkill, wherever you want. And, and in <laughs> right. fact, would you would you speak differently? You wouldn't just come in and say hi to the dog. Maybe you would have much right. more to say. So right. there exactly. may be... I mean, COVID is going to transform so many aspects of society. And, you know, some aspects it can transform in a positive way. And, you know, dating or some aspects of dating can, can certainly be one of them. And if one sees it in the context of, you know, 300 years of American history, it's not such a major shift, right, in that sense. Um, uh, we, we've, dating has been different in the, in the last, you know, couple of decades. But actually, if you see it in the broader context of, of 300 years of American courtship, American matchmaking, um, you see it in the context of that, then it's not such a shift. And there certainly is much value to be had in, in, in slowing it all down, in taking a walk, in getting to know each other. There's certainly, of course, we can all agree there's huge value in that. I think it also speaks to, um, with a personal ad, when people describe themselves in a personal ad, that's all very well in the way, you know, with, uh, you know, in, the seven, in 1788 in New York City, a, a gentleman describing himself as not above two and 20, tall, stout, and esteemed agreeable in his person. But the difficulty or the opportunity is that you never know who you're going to fall in love with, right? So you can describe away the kind of woman you're looking for, the kind of man you're looking for. But actually, anyone who's fallen in love knows how often one can be surprised by, you know, um, uh, what works for different people and and who you fall in love with. And that's why um, it's always been important to, of course, be honest and open about who you are and <laughs> describe yourself as best you can, even if you are slightly exaggerating about age or weight or income, but to be very um, open and not overly prescriptive when you talk about the kind of partner that you're looking for, because mm. it does seem very clear to me that you really just never know who you're going to fall in love with, right? And that's always important to remember. Uh, I think it's so true. I remember someone telling me that the person that they saw, the gentleman they saw, was, oh, okay. But when she spoke to him on the phone, she said to me, I love his voice. And you just <laughs> you, you just don't know. So, you know, I, th- I think what you're saying is really valuable. Now, as I mentioned at the break, um, I hear that you are someone who writes ads at times for people and the rich and the famous, the, the uh, movie star set. And so give us a little bit of the wisdom of what should a personal ad have and what don't you need to put in? What, what, what would you say, Francesca? Right. Well, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I have a game I like to play writing 18th century style personal ads for um, famous people or for friends. So, for example, see if you can guess who this, uh, this personal ad is, is for. Um, place, you know, an 18th century style personal ad. Um, gentlemen of fame and fortune, 
just above 5 and 50, in easy pecuniary circumstances, good stature, agreeable disposition, not very ugly, some prior experience of marriage. Send letters to the editor of the Los Angeles Star, California. No triflers, please. So that was one I, a joke one I wrote for Brad Pitt, just for fun. Um, <laughs> I see. In the start okay. of an 18th century ad. And, okay. you know, these, they, they, obviously the language used in the 18th century to advertise for love was, was very different to the language we use today um, or the pictures we use today. So there's all sorts of fascinating research that shows, you know, if a man poses with a dog in his profile picture in a dating app, he gets lots of replies. If a woman, you know, poses in, in doing yoga on a beach, she gets lots more replies. But, you know, uh, my, uh, my advice from trawling through 250 years' worth of personal ads is... Um, is how important it is to be upfront and straightforward about who you are. Not about who you're looking for, because as I, as, as I said, I do feel very strongly you just never know who you're going to fall in love with. But it's important to be um, open and honest about who you are and what's important to you, really. So it's, it's, in any dating profile, it's, about, it's, it's sounding as much like yourself as you possibly can, which is why it's always helpful to get a close friend to read it, um, to, to, to think, does this sound like me? Does this sound like the essence of me? Does the, does the profile picture look like the essence of me? You know, there's no point, um, you know, posting a super glamorous photograph and you in the gown if actually most of the time you like to be in sweats on your couch, right? I mean, there's a happy medium between the two, but mm-hmm. um, the, the, the basis of... of of, of finding somebody you connect with is, is it's really important to be sort of um, straightforward from the beginning. And, I, and I, I see that in personal ads 200 years ago, the very first one in Boston in 1759, um, all the way through the 19th and, and 20th centuries. And that is certainly something that's, that's consistent, whether it's an ad in an 18th century newspaper or a profile in a, in a 2020 dating app, you know, that's, mm. Much has changed in the way we advertise for love, but much has also stayed the same. You know, um, I, I think what you're saying is so true in terms of capturing yourself. I guess I want listeners to know, having heard so many people talk about what they write and what they painstakingly think they're supposed to write, I sometimes think, Francesca, less is more. And one man, really what the only thing he really wrote, and he had unbelievable success, was, I'm a really nice guy. Oh, and I'm looking, you see? And, and I'm looking, yeah, and I'm that looking for some, a nice partner. Oh, I want to meet him. Right? It was remarkable. I know him for a long time. He, it was remarkable, his hit rate. <laughs> because right. people were not intimidated. You know, you don't have to say, Rhodes Scholar, presently started right. my own company. I mean, who could respond to that? <laughs> right, right. Every every woman wants a nice guy. I mean, again, it's the straightforwardness. It slightly reminds me of the 1903 personal ad, young man with glass eyes seeks a young lady with glass yes. eyes. There's a, yes. there's a wonderful and memorable straightforwardness to it that I think is, is incredibly um, appealing, the sort of honesty of it, of it, the directness of it. And again, the willingness to be kind of open to opportunity, the, the idea that you know, he doesn't know who he's looking for. He's a nice guy. He's looking for a nice lady. You know, it's as mm-hmm. straightforward as that. So there's no intimidation and you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a movie star. I mean, it it just opens the door for possibilities. The other thing we said at the break was, and if this person 
just doesn't sound good on the phone or just there's nothing there. You didn't take two months on a stagecoach to meet them. So that, you know, we are lucky in that sense, you know, that with that a whole world of single men and women is now easily accessible from, you know, our dinky little device often in our back pocket rather than having to get on a stagecoach. And with that comes many difficulties, but also many opportunities. And so, you know, we are, of course, lucky in that sense to be living in 2020 rather than in 1820, when certainly the dating process was a little bit more challenging in some ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there, and, and I guess I, I, I understand also sometimes people say there's so many options, it overwhelms me. And so it's worth starting somewhere the other thing that worries people, and I'll ask you about this, is they're worried they'll meet someone who likes them and online and they won't meet like that person and they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Well, so, that is part of a broader problem of not wanting to hurt anybody's <laughs> feelings. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it's so important, of course, as we all know, to um, be honest about what we do and we don't want. And there's a way to... to do that without necessarily, you know, hurting other people's feelings. It's important, of course, to stick up for what you want, right? And because whom you choose to partner up with is arguably, you know, one of the most important decisions you'll ever make, right? Studies show that a happy relationship is by far the strongest predictor of of overall happiness. So it's worth taking some time over it, but it's also why it is worth taking a a systematic approach like a dating app, a dating website, or in the old days, a a personal ad. It's why, you know, really my my takeaway from this in in many ways is is to really advocate for um, this, this form of matchmaking. I really hope we can all agree that this, these days all the stigma has gone, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe there used to be some stigma surrounding advertising for love. But, you know, now that, I mean, a, a 2019 study by Stanford University found that 39% of couples met through a dating website or app. 39%. So it, it is the, the most common way that, that, that couples meet. You know, 27% meet in a bar, 20% through friends, 11% at work. Um, but now that it's so common, I hope that we can all agree there's no stigma attached. Everyone should, you know, there are, it's a terrific um, opportunity. Everyone should just get out there and give dating apps and websites a try, particularly, as we've discussed, in the time of COVID, when there are all sorts of new opportunities um, being offered up. Mm-hmm. And as one person said, you know, just picking up on the virus, she wants to credit the virus for slowing down the process of dating which could be enhanced, of course, with the um, online dating, because now we approach dating with a new set of needs that were more rewarding to satisfy. So, right, you know, exactly. you, you really can look at it from all sides. But your, I love your take-home message, which is to, to give the uh, personal ads, which have been around a very long time, um, really a chance to keep you social and keep your options open. How, Francesca, can people find this book and some of your other very interesting books? Oh, well, this book is available now in your local bookstore or um, or the, the, the local bookstore website, bookshop.org, which I love, or, you know, any, any website where you can buy books. So it's available now in in stores, um, as are my, my previous books. One of my previous books was A History of the Pineapple and Always a Fun Read. So is that available for you as well? Okay. I want to thank you, Francesca. 
the book is fascinating and you really opened up a window to us taking a look at advertising for love. Thank you so much for your research and for being our guest today. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Okay. Um, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast. This show will be a podcast by 6 p.m. tonight, Eastern, on my website and on all the platforms for podcasts, all the podcast apps, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Apple TV, Google Home, Amazon Alexa. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe. Remember to wear a mask. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.